This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Now, we've got Adam, who's a former client of Sands & Associates, on the line with us, uh, who's going to share his story with us. Adam, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Oh, you're very welcome, and thank you for having me. It's so important to give a voice and emotion to someone who's striving towards that financial fresh start that we talk about so often here on the show using a consumer proposal. Uh, so just know, if you have any hesitation at all, Adam, uh, you, you never know how many people you're giving assistance to by telling your story, and we, we just so appreciate this opportunity. Well, I hope I can, uh, I, I hope I can help in, in any way I can to somebody that's actually listening and thinking about doing it. It's the best decision of my life. That's great, Adam. Oh, good. And, and yeah, Adam, it's almost since we started doing this show, it's really the past clients. I have people almost every week coming and saying, you know what, I saw myself in that situation. And to hear somebody to go through it and validate, you know, this is a, a good solution for folks, you know, that that's just, just excellent. Um, so Adam, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about the situation th- that brought you to Sands and Associates. Obviously, respecting your confidentiality will only, you know, disclose as much or as little as, as you as you feel like. But just wondering what you were facing, what life was like when you when you picked up the phone to give us a call. Well, uh, I, I can take the story back to 1994 mm. when my then-girlfriend, now-wife, was in a car accident and became permanently injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were we were high school sweethearts, um, and we started collecting debt in the form of prescriptions because mm-hmm. at that time we didn't have any coverage. I was a, uh, a lonely little line cook at the time, and... <laughs> Uh, and she was uh, in school to be a legal secretary, so we had no medical coverage, and her parents weren't supporting her, and so I took that upon myself. But what that did was put us behind the eight ball from the very beginning of our relationship. Wow. And, yeah. And and since 1994, that's obviously a a long time. And, you know, so many folks that that I meet, you know, the right decision was obviously you buy the prescriptions and you deal with the consequences later. Exactly. So, you know, you always try and, you know, it it eventually turned into multiple credit cards, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul back and forth and with with, with credit cards trying to keep that, uh, keep everybody happy and keep prescriptions going. And then, and then, of course, um, young and young and silly, uh, or young and dumb, um, you know, you sit there and go, okay, I have a little bit of extra credit. I need to go on a vacation, or I want to go out for a nice dinner, or I want to do X, and which then puts you further behind the hole. So about 10 years ago, we decided, okay, we're going to get out of, get out of the hole. Okay. And with my wife being, my wife, well, probably more like 12 years ago, my wife was diagnosed with stage 4 endometriosis. Right. So yet again, uh, she in ten years, uh, sorry, in twelve years, she had ten surgeries and behind eight ball again, and all this. Uh, it never worked out, mm-hmm. and we finally came to the point uh, to to a point where we sat there and went, "Enough's enough. Suck it up. Let's get this dealt with. Let's see what we can do to get this dealt with, and what are our best options." And we searched and found you 
we then had a friend that was go that went through a similar situation a long, long time ago, and had dealt with you and said they were great. So we went. Oh, good. Yeah. How long do you think your your actual search went on for Adam? Where you from when you went? Okay, we have to do something about this. We can't live this way anymore. We need to take some action. What kind of period of time was that? Uh, about about six months. Okay. Uh, about six months because there was a lot of procrastination involved in that decision-making process because of feeling embarrassed, because of feeling uh, you didn't do what you were supposed to do in life. You know, you're not supposed to go into debt. And here's the crazy thing, Adam, just from an outsider here, having just heard the first part of your story, none of the things that got you into the situation where you were in debt to a, a significant amount was your fault. Like, not one piece of that was. No. I, with with my wife, we also went, like, so with my wife, we also tried to get her on disability, but mm-hmm. we found out very shortly that uh, because she hadn't worked for four years full-time contributing to CPP, she didn't qualify. And because uh-huh. even, though, even though I was a lonely line cook at the time, um, I made too much money for provincial disability. So the, pro- the province said, hey, you guys should get divorced and then she'll get on disability. Oh, my gosh. Talk about yeah. falling through the cracks, right? Oh, yes. You know, pe- Absolutely. You know, some Americans might think, oh, my God, there's no bankruptcies or proposals in Canada because of medical stuff because you guys have coverage. But no, <laughs> you know, your hospital is covered. But as you were saying, the prescriptions, you're, you're not the first person who, you know, they have to decide, do I go into debt or do I get prescriptions? Yeah. And, you know, you got to get the prescriptions. Physiotherapy four days a week, mm-hmm. you know, lots of extensive, yeah, no, that not, not all covered. Can you describe uh, the, the, the situation the day that you went into Sands & Associates and sat down and started to explain your situation and started getting different answers that you'd never possibly realized you were going to get in terms of how to deal with this debt? Can you describe what that was like? Uh, well, sitting in the waiting room, very nervous. You feel like you're going to be judged. Mm-hmm. You feel uh, you're totally uncomfortable. Uh, the next um, thing is when you start talking to somebody, uh, the feeling of not being judged. The person's there to help you. Uh, just listening to the just listening to the situation and going, okay, let's figure this out together and do the best we can with the situation that you have. Uh, it, and being respected. It, yeah. you, you weren't being talked down to, you weren't being belittled, you weren't being uh, in any way degraded that, that you're in this situation. It's all about help, and how can we help? It must have been a huge weight off of oh, both it, of your shoulders. It absolutely was. Yeah, and it, it's interesting, Adam, the words that, that you use about, you know, the apprehension of coming to the first meeting, that's just so on point to just about everyone that comes in the door. And we try not to let someone sit in the waiting room for long because we know they're so nervous, they're so worried, they don't know if they're walking into, you know, again, the most judgmental meeting of their life. And we know it's the opposite, but, you know, until <laughs> until you've met with us, that that's the case. Because, you know, what I firmly believe is, you know, anybody is just, you know, a medical incident or, you know, some very bad life event away from needing our help. It might be me someday. So, um, you know, you need to, to approach it with that situation. There's no above or, or below a person. It's you're on the same level to help them. Yes. Uh, I, I live my life by the golden rule and mm-hmm. Sam's definitely lives by the golden rule for everybody that we dealt with. 
That's Good. nice. What was there anything that surprised you in your process with Sands and 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 working out the details and and then getting that fixed amount that you were going to be able to handle to pay each month? Uh, the, what I was surprised with was how you well I don't know exactly how to describe it. Basically, we gave all of our information. A letter was written, and the creditors came back and said yes. I thought there'd be a lot more. A lot more steps involved, yeah. a, a lot more negotiation, a lot more uh, effort needed to resolve the issue. It was much faster, much simpler, much more at ease than I thought it was going to be. And that, and that's great, Adam, because I was going to say, you know, I ex- explain proposals on this show a lot, but I'm so curious from your perspective, you know, how, how you would lay it out. And, and that's just great. You gave your information, we wrote an offer, and the offer was accepted. That's in a nutshell how a proposal works. Um, and I, I tell this to, to people who haven't done one before, it's 95% success rate. Our first offer is accepted 95%, and 99% of the time we get to a deal. So sometimes we have to negotiate, but it's very rarely we don't come to a really positive outcome here, and, you know, proof's in the pudding. Exactly. I don't know what you guys do on your side with that letter going out to the creditors <laughs> and, all that, but, and what negotiations happen on your side, but yeah. from my experience... I, I hand deliver I, it with a crowbar, but no, <laughs> not really. <laughs> oh, dear. Would you say, um, or could you talk a little bit about what your experience, the impact that your experience has had on your financial habits and attitudes and, and how you go about uh, your world today, Adam? Uh, just for, for me, it's keeping a closer eye on the budget, mm-hmm. uh, completely close eye, um, Scrooge-like on the budget. <laughs> you, you really pay attention to what you're doing and how you're doing it. Um, and with that said, I'm actually in the process of uh, taking a look at being an entrepreneur oh, and see, yeah. So, so it, it's coming to great, uh, the, everything that I've learned and all the help I got from Sands has gone into um, taking a look at, at, at all the financials that are involved and being very, very strict and very methodical about what I'm going to do because I don't want to end up in that place I was That's so good to hear because when folks sometimes embark on an entrepreneurial plan or an idea, um, the the methodology on how to stay on track and how to keep uh, costs in line sometimes goes out the window because you're just so darn excited about what it is you're you're about to embark on or as you're embarking on it so what what a great uh good advice for folks who are thinking in a similar way or or wanting to take on something new and interesting absolutely i i just i i would just suggest anybody that's trying to do it just think about all the people that were very successful in being an entrepreneur it's all about dollars and cents it's about Mm -hmm. pennies yeah. If if you keep an eye on the pennies and you keep an eye on your stats, you should be good. Some uh, some very successful people have said uh, exactly that, Adam. You pay attention to the pennies and the nickels and the dimes and the quarters will take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And you're a very Absolutely. good company when you when you <laughs> saying something like that. What about for the person who's listening to you tell your story, uh, who's in a similar situation as you were? What kind of advice? What kind of uh, encouragement would you give them? Uh, take a deep breath and step. Uh, there is nothing that's going to happen 
going to Sands and Associates mm-hmm. that would be detrimental to your financial well-being. Uh, you're you're in a you're in a space right now where you're trying to keep your head above water, and all Sands is doing is throwing you a life preserver to help with that. I love uh, I love the fact that you described your experience as uh, when you sat down with the with the folks at Sands and Associates uh, that you got empathy. There was no judgment. Uh, you were respected. Uh, those are such important Im- important things to remind people before they mm-hmm. walk in the door. Absolutely, it is. If any of this is resonating with you, or you f- you're thinking that you're in a similar situation like Adam was, or or or, or fearful that you may be, uh, or that the situations we talked about feel familiar, Sands and Associates so easy to get a hold of them. Uh, the website is sands-trustee.com, and the website itself that can be the first step for you. It's just filled with such good information, loads and loads of it. Very good questions with full answers for you uh, in things in terms of just checking out your own situation before you move forward. So easy to get a hold of them. They're 1-800 number 661-3030 to book that free consultation and to find an office near you. And more importantly, just like Adam, start living that debt-free life. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. And there's a couple of ways that uh, somebody who's in debt can get out of debt. Uh, We talk about these uh, pieces on the show a lot, but boy, oh boy, it's such good information for you. Uh, Maybe you're hearing it for the very first time, or you know of somebody in your life that is experiencing this. Let's talk about the two big pieces, or 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 bankruptcy and a consumer proposal. That's the those are the two things that somebody can look at. Let's let's talk about them, Blair. the differences between the consumer proposal and bankruptcy. What What is it? Yes, there's huge differences. And, you know, right off the top of the lane, most people, or maybe not most now, but a lot of people still have no idea what a consumer proposal is. So, you know, my job title used to be trustee in bankruptcy, and then it changed this year to licensed insolvency trustee to really explain to everyone that trustees do so much more than bankruptcy. And the so much more is the consumer proposal. We're going to go through in a bunch of detail there, but essentially where bankruptcy is you throwing up your hands and saying, you know what, I need a fresh start. I can't afford to repay, you know, even a portion of the debt. The debt's so out of control or my income is so low, I need to get some relief. That's a bankruptcy. A consumer proposal is meant to be a compromise. It's meant to be a deal between you and the people that you owe money to, where you say to the people that you owe money to, I don't want to go into bankruptcy, but I can't afford to pay you guys back everything and definitely not everything plus interest. So let's come to some deal. So usually in a consumer proposal, you're negotiating to pay back just part of the debt, not the full amount. And that's your alternative that allows you to avoid a bankruptcy. So let's go through a land. We have a few different criteria. We'll talk about each of them and I'll explain how a bankruptcy and a proposal are are different. Sure. So first of all, let's talk about I owe a bunch of debt. Mm -hmm. If I do a consumer proposal, because you say automatically, you just Mm -hmm. mentioned, I'm going to be end up paying less of my debt back. Let's talk about specifics on that. What kind of reduction do we look at? 
Yeah, so if it's a consumer proposal, uh, you know, the guiding point in a consumer proposal is what can you realistically, legitimately be able to pay back, okay? If you've got a house with no mortgage worth a million dollars and you got $20,000 in consumer debt, you legitimately can afford to pay back that $20,000. Yes. If you did a consumer proposal, you couldn't reduce the total amount, but yeah, you could do it with no interest to pay off that reduced balance. So still there would be some benefit. Now, do I see many of those clients? No. The sure. vast majority of clients that I see, they've got very few assets, definitely assets that are less the amount of the debts that they hold. And the way a proposal works is we look at if that person went into bankruptcy, would any of those assets have to get sold? Usually the answer is no. If they've got a house, there's usually a mortgage that's got almost all of their equity tied up. If there's a car, there's usually a car loan. So most of the time in a proposal, we're looking at reducing the debt by up to 80%. Which is huge. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine 80% of that gone yeah. and, and, and you negotiate that, you work that out for them? Yeah, you know, real numbers here. If someone owed $50,000, potentially you could do a consumer proposal in the range of ten dollars to $15,000. No interest, no additional fees on top of it, and you don't have to go into bankruptcy. Those type of numbers happen every day. So how does it, how do you, how do, how is oh, I am speechless. <laughs> it's crazy, right? <laughs> it is, it's crazy. What about the no interest thing? That sounds unbelievable. Yeah, and that's all set by law. So, you know, everything, when I do a consumer proposal, I show to the creditors a sheet that's got two columns on it. One column shows, a bankruptcy and bankruptcy everything is governed by law and it says exactly what will happen to assets and how much has to get paid in and at the end of the day there's going to be either some small recovery on the debts or maybe a zero recovery and a bankruptcy is any individual's right in Canada nobody can get rejected you have the right to get a fresh start on your debts and your creditors have to accept maybe zero recovery or maybe some small recovery so I show them one column of very bad news and I show them another column of better news saying here's the consumer proposal here's the this person who is willing to pay more than if they went into a bankruptcy for the benefits of not going bankrupt for them, preserving their credit. And, you know, some people just feel a lot better not having to go through a bankruptcy, obviously. So there's a benefit to the individual and the benefit to the person who is owed money is they actually get something rather than nothing. Right. So more is better than less. More is better than less. And they're getting more of the principal than that interest, that awful interest that we all see on our our things, which I think is... Boy, oh boy, just such, it it was mind-blowing when I first heard that. Yeah, well, it's it's a moving target every month that moves farther away from you. So, you know, in a consumer proposal, we stop that. We say, you know, if you owed 50, let's get that down to something reasonable. Again, probably 10 to 15. And what's reasonable is that you don't pay any further interest. And that's exactly what's in the law. So if you're negotiating to pay back, you know, call it 12,000 on 50, something like that, the trustee gets paid out of that. There's no additional charges. There's no additional interest. Again, you're all always cautious about if something sounds to be too good to be true, it might not be. This actually is. It is. So let's talk about the length of time because that's where it doesn't happen overnight. Right. In either situation. Yeah. So some people have an idea. You'll walk into the bankruptcy trustee's office, you'll sign a bunch of documents and you'll walk out without your debt. It doesn't happen in Canada. No. No. So you going in, into bankruptcy, you know, typically it takes, um, you know, a number of meetings with the trustee, probably a couple, two, three meetings to make sure we got all the details right. But the actual bankruptcy proceeding takes a minimum of nine months. So it's not six, seven years like most people think, but it's at least nine months. And quite often it's a year and nine months. It's 21 months in total. Okay. And that's only dependent on your income. If you're low income, you're nine months. If you're not low income, you're a year plus nine months. Now, okay. did you give me the total for the consumer proposal no, yet? I'm, I'm the about period? to do that. Okay, good. Yeah. Now, the way a consumer proposal works is a consumer proposal, essentially, you could finish as quick as you're able to. 
Okay, so if we decided or if we worked out with you, you're able to pay back, you know, ten or $12,000 on $50,000 of debt, the longest time you can take to pay that back would be over five years or over 60 months. So you could pay that $200 a month for 60 months and you've dealt with your $50,000 of debt for $200 a month. You can imagine the minimum payments you would be asked for that, but the proposal would only be $200. Okay, that's an option. Or yeah. if I wanted to pay more. Yeah, or if you get a job, you know, a lot of the time or get a, you know, a second job or something, a lot of the time, as soon as we're able to remove the debt stress, people are suddenly able to earn more money and, you know, do better things with their finances. So you can make extra payments at any time as soon as you pay off that balance. And it's really important. You're going to come for two counseling sessions. But as soon as you do those two things, pay off the balance and come for counseling, you're finished in the proposal. Okay. And I always want to include this. What do you end up getting? What is Sands and Associates? How much do I pay you Mm -hmm. for this amazing opportunity to deal with my debt? Yeah, and, and that's the best part. So we're all independent officers of the court. So everything that you pay into the proposal, it goes into a trust account, and the trustee retains roughly 20% of what you pay in. So if you're paying back 10000 the trustee might keep 2000 of that. But the important thing to note is you don't pay that separately at all. If we figure out that you're able to pay back $10,000, your creditors essentially are going to pay the cost of the trustee. You're going to pay $10,000 into trust. Your creditors are going to get the portion after the trustee fees are paid. So there's no upfront cost to you doing a consumer proposal. There's no massive amount of payments you need to make to the trustee. Typically, if we work out the proposal, it's going to be two or $300 a month, which is very typical. You'll make that payment once. We'll send the proposal out for voting, and then you just continue making the payments once it's approved. Nothing separate you're ever charged. Okay. Uh, and now you talked about the creditors and how do they, how does that work? How do they come to an agreement? Can we cover that? In the oh, we absolutely can. Yeah. So we've got more power than anybody here in a consumer proposal. And what I love is that we don't need everybody to agree. So if you owe a bunch of people money and one of them is yelling and screaming, saying that they're going to sue you and no way will they ever accept 20% repayment. As long as we get 50% of your other creditors to say yes, so 50% by dollar value, it doesn't matter what the other creditor says. It's legally binding on everybody. That includes the government. So you can imagine how happy some people are when we can say, yeah, we can force Revenue Canada to take this settlement. Exactly. If your other creditors want it, Revenue Canada has to come along for the ride. And in a bankruptcy situation? In a bankruptcy situation, there's no consent required. It's basically you file a bankruptcy, the creditors have to accept what's, what's been done. And can we... Can we cover the, how does that affect my credit rating? That's definitely going to be a separate segment for us. You know, a bankruptcy is going to last for about six years after you're finished. A proposal about two or three years after you're finished. But under both, you can reestablish your credit very quickly. You know, usually it's a couple years after filing. You'll be in better shape than when you started. Excellent. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. If you're thinking that this information is good, that it pertains to you, that you want to make some changes, you want to tackle your debt that's been gnawing at you, check out the website for Sands & Associates, sands-trustee.com. That's the website. You can book your free consultation with one of the experts and start living that debt-free life. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, who are experts in helping you get out of debt. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the services we've talked about on the show, go to sands-trustee.com or call 1-800-661-3000. 
3030 uh, for a free consultation and to find an office near you. Now we're going to talk with Shane Ramsey, who's CEO of BC Housing. bchousing.org is the website. And just in case you didn't know, BC Housing develops, manages, and administers a whole range of subsidized housing options across the province. They also carry out lots of research and education that benefits the residential construction industry, consumers, and the affordable housing sector. And uh, Shane Ramsey's with us. He's been CEO of BC Housing since May 2000. Welcome, Shane. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Now, it's no secret that uh, residents of Vancouver and the Lower Mainland were all feeling the pinch of climbing costs of living, let alone our housing costs. Uh, BC Housing talks about all the different resources uh, that may be available to individuals facing those housing challenges. That's what we're going to talk about, or at least start talking about today, Shane. Great. I look forward to it. Great. So what kind of role does BC Housing, what kind of role does BC Housing's policy play in the province? Can you talk about it sort of in an umbrella? Uh, what's the umbrella that you that you cover? And then we'll da- dive in a little bit. Sure. Thanks. Uh, and thanks for having me on. Um, BC Housing is a provincial crown agency. It was created in 1967 and largely to manage government's commitment to subsidized housing, and that was its primary focus early on. Its mandate has evolved and changed since then, but we develop, manage, and uh, manage and administer a range of both subsidized and affordable housing across the province. We also have responsibility for the Homeowner Protection Act. That's a builder licensing, uh, home warranty system. Um, every builder who builds a home for sale in British Columbia has to be licensed. And we're also uh, a National Housing Act insured lender. So we do play a major role in um, social and affordable housing um, lending. The mortgage portfolio is in the range of uh, $2.75 billion currently. And so we, we touch every aspect of the housing continuum, right from emergency shelter and housing for the homeless, uh, through to transitional and supportive housing, uh, independent housing, rent assistance in the private market, affordable rental, and more and more looking at um, opportunities to promote affordable home ownership as well. Now, I know you, you said that subsidized housing was the original purpose of uh, the organization being set up, and you've been there since 2000. What would you say the biggest, the biggest change is for BC Housing's focus uh, and sort of the housing situation that we face now? Well, I think lar- largely up until the late 90s and early 2000s, um, th- the role of BC Housing had really been in the area of um, subsidized housing for uh, families, uh, seniors, and people with disabilities, especially when the homeless crisis began to hit in the late, ni- in, uh, in the late 1990s and the early 2000s. A large focus changed to, um, uh, changed to a focus on, uh, on options to um, assist folks that were struggling with homelessness, at risk of homelessness, particularly those with mental health and addictions. And so a lot of work done over the past 15 years uh, focused in that area. And also lately, looking at that whole continuum and, and then an emerging focus over the last few years on affordable rental and affordable ownership. And so that rounds out you know, government's um, involvement across the housing continuum. It's kind of a hard thing to take on, right? I mean, boy, oh boy, Lower Mainland is like the number one place that people want to live these days. Uh, not everybody can afford it. Uh, it's a huge task that you guys have undertaken. 
Yeah, for, for sure. And uh, affordability is certainly uh, acute in uh, in the Lower Mainland, but also it is an issue of Southern Vancouver Island, the Okanagan, and communities across the, the north and the interior. They may have different types of, of issues. Some relate to the condition of the housing stock, some relate to affordability, and a lot relate simply to availability of good quality rental housing. Can we talk specifically about where BC Housing's been able to really give folks a hand? Sure. Um, uh, happy to talk about that. Um, really have um, worked with our, our partners in local government and with the health authorities in trying to um, deal with the, with the emerging issue of, of homelessness. It's a very complex issue. Um, it really has, um, uh, it's multidimensional, ha- has a lot of um, issues around mental health and addictions, and, and it often manifests itself as, as a housing issue because that's where we see folks, um, see folks um, struggling. And, and so really it's about creating those partnerships with local governments, with health authorities, with the private and nonprofit sectors around, uh, around uh, creating opportunities to move folks inside with the appropriate range of supports. And, and, and that's a real difficult challenge. We see it especially across the lower mainland with um, you know, the tent cities that uh, b- begin to uh, spring up, uh, the tent city that happened in Victoria over the, about, uh, about a year ago, and even in some of the smaller communities across the north, the interior, and the valley, um, all, all struggling with, uh, with that issue. What can you do? What can BC Housing do, or what are you trying to do to assist folks? Uh, so a, a number of, uh, of things um, have, have worked quite well. Um, rather than treating homelessness as, as a, just a homogeneous issue, um, there are outreach teams, uh, nonprofit outreach teams that operate in communities across the province, and those try to connect with homeless folks where they are, in the park, uh, under a bridge, by the, by the river, and get them connected into, into services. Um, our shelter system in, in and around 2006 uh, was gradually changed to a 24-7 operation. So rather than that cycle of, of homeless folks lining up at night and then leaving in the morning, shelters now, 95% of them open 24-7. And the purpose uh, during uh, opening during the day is for folks to connect with um, outreach teams, to look at um, housing opportunities, to look at uh, connections to health services, income assistance, even um, education and um, employment opportunities. And so, uh, you know, a lot of effort around around the individual connections to try to break that cycle of homelessness. That sounds like like a, a great approach, Shane. And, you know, from, from our perspective at, at Sands & Associates, you know, we often feel that, yeah, finances is just one piece of, you know, a suite of challenges that people are facing. And, you know, sometimes housing is a big component that they've got to sort out before they can even, you know, think about dealing with, with the debt situation. Now, in, in the clients that, that I see, um, you know, sometimes they do have, you know, some participation in BC housing programs. And I'm wondering, you know, for listeners out there who might not have a good idea, uh, you know, the nuts and bolts of how these programs actually work, could you give a bit of an overview of, you know, the rental assistance program to start? Sure. Um, uh, so there are a number of, of, of uh, of programs, you know, there are the the system of emergency shelters and transition and supportive housing, but there are also major programs that provide rent assistance for folks in the private market. And there are two main programs there. The Shelter Aid for Elderly Renters program assists some um, uh, seniors 60 and over uh, with rent assistance uh, that they pay to their private landlord. Uh, there are almost 22,000 senior households that receive safer assistance, and wow. that totals almost $200 a month. There is um, a similar program for rent assist, called the Rental Assistance Program for low-income families making under uh, $35,000, and there are almost 10,000 families receiving that assistance, and that amounts to about $400 uh, per month. 
uh, past couple of years, we've also introduced a homeless prevention program, and that provides rent assistance to homeless folks um, to get connected with units in the private market, and those, comes with, those come with much-needed supports so that folks are checked in on and making sure that they have a stable tenancy. So that suite of programs provides rent assistance to folks in the private market and a lot of information available on our website about how to apply. Uh, you can apply online to, uh, to any of those three programs. I'm wondering, uh, too, if somebody's listening right now, besides going to the website, uh, Shane, is there, is, is, there, is there an easy way for folks to get a hold of you or to, to get access to BC Housing to ask those questions, especially if somebody's listening who has somebody within their family that could benefit um, from one of these programs? Oh, sure. Our, our 1-800 line will get you right to, um, right to our applicant services uh, department, and they can explain the whole range of options from, you know, the, the, the actual physical housing that you can apply for, as well as the available programs that could, that could provide support for where you're living right now. If you qualify, um, you would get that monthly um, rent assistance uh, for, uh, to help with your rent in the private market. So calling the 1-800 line, uh, our folks will take you through the range of options that could be available to suit your individual circumstances. That's great, Shane. And um, I work in, in my Langley office quite a bit, and I just know a number of my, my clients. Um, you know, the SAFER program is literally a lifesaver for them. They would not be able to be in the place that they are in right now without that type of assistance. So, you know, I do encourage folks to, to reach out. Um, now, just asking, you know, some of the, the, the detail there. So SAFER, for example, is it a standard subsidy across the board? Is there some qualification? If you're over age 60, obviously that's one qualification, but are there other parameters? Yeah, so we would look at, um, we only subsidize up to an eligible rent level, mm-hmm. and, 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 and so that's also available on the website. One of the useful tools, uh, Blair, on the website is, um, is a rent calculator, so a, a person could go on, put in their um, income, any available deductions, and, and that would assess your eligibility and, and also give you a number of, um, of what um, you could expect to receive in either the rental assistance program or the Shelter Aid for Elderly Renters program. Okay, so it's, it's that straightforward. This mathematical formula, you can put it in online, then get a sense of whether you can access these programs. That's, that's exactly right, yes. Has BC Housing uh, played, or what kind of role have they played? We have a lot of new folks uh, arriving in British Columbia on a regular basis. Uh, do, is there a role that uh, BC Housing plays with helping those folks get settled? Are you um, uh, speaking about refugees? Yeah, refugees for sure. If we, if if that makes sense for this. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, we do partner and have partnered with the Immigrant Services Society of nice. British Columbia, um, uh, assisted in the development of their new facility on Victoria Drive. Um, we we also worked with um, ISS uh, with refugee families. Um, took uh, some refugee families into our own. Uh, direct managed housing stock. We we own and manage uh, almost 6,000 units of housing across the province. Most of it in the in the Lower Mainland, and also work with our nonprofit partners who also housed um, assisted in housing refugee families. Again, in partnership with the Immigrant Services Society of British Columbia. How many people work for BC Housing, Shane? Because boy, oh boy, you guys have really got uh, tentacles out into all areas. We have about um, 700 employees, and our our budget in the last fiscal year was 1.3 billion dollars. Wow! And we assist about 105,000 uh, British Columbia households each and every day. 
Wow. wow, that's extraordinary. You know, I think that's really good information to folks, uh, for folks to realize uh, how well a Crown Corporation can work and at a real grassroots level. Yeah, real partnerships with, uh, with, with communities, especially our nonprofit partners. One of the things uh, and stories that um, when I'm out talking with folks, um, uh, they're always amazed when I tell them about how many developments that we have under construction. So in British Columbia today, we have um, 62 developments under construction. They wow. comprise 2,700 units and a value of almost $600 million. We have another 75 projects under development. So those, the, that meaning that um, those, that meaning that um, those developments are funded, they comprise almost 4,000 units at a total value of more than a billion dollars. So those 137 developments are in various phases of construction and approvals, total um, 7,000 units and uh, $1.6 billion in, uh, in total value. We've been talking with Shane Ramsey, CEO of BC Housing. For more information, bchousing.org is their number. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Blair, we're going to talk about the impact of a person being in debt and the impact that that has on your spouse or your partner. Right. And I've got to think right off the bat, it's significant, I guess, emotionally, mm-hmm. but not so much when it comes to sort of the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah. And that's a good way to say it, Elaine, is I think, you know, people assume that if you marry somebody or you become common law, you cohabitated for a couple of years, people assume that that suddenly means that, you know, you've married that person's debt. You owe the same amount that they owe. And if they don't pay, you've got to be on the hook. So I've sat down with couples a lot in, in my role at Sands and Associates. And I've often wished, hey, I wish you guys came to me six months ago before you did X, Y, and Z, because quite often they're very surprised to figure out that actually couples finances, even if they're married, are still quite separate. And sometimes the right decision is not for one partner to pay off the other person's debt. It's for both partners to investigate the solutions that will work out best for them. And quite often, that's the better way collectively to go forward. Yeah, I think that's a really significant myth because I I wouldn't have guessed that. I would have said, oh, no, if I'm marrying you, what yours is, you know, yours is mine and mine is yours. And that includes debt. Yeah. And, you know, there's with everything, there's an element of of some truth in, in the myth. And, you know, if God forbid, if you marry somebody and the marriage goes south and you have to divorce, then yes, debts that you've incurred collectively, even if it's in one person's name, because it was incurred as part of the marriage, it's known as, you know, basically a family debt and that type of a debt, you know, could be split. So if I was divorcing from my spouse, my spouse might say, well, I've got, you know, $10,000 in debt to RBC just in my name. I hold you accountable for 5000 of that and the law would support that. Got it. But that's only on divorce or dissolution. Um, absent any of that, 
If I owe money to Royal Bank, Royal Bank can't come to my spouse and try to collect. They can't attach to any assets of my spouse. They can't even call my spouse and make them aware of that debt. It's a contractual relationship between me and Royal Bank, and it's not Royal, or whichever bank, not beating up a Royal, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not it's not the bank's business that I've right. suddenly gotten married or cohabitated or anything like that. The contractual relationship has not changed. That's interesting. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was this uh, poll mm-hmm. uh, from uh, Ontario that says a significant number of relationships face debt challenges from the very start. Right. That's fascinating to me. Yeah, and, and what the poll also showed is that if you don't discuss it, if you got a challenge and each person just puts their head in the sand, well, then what's more likely is you're both going to go further into debt rather than collectively work together and get yourselves out of debt so that you can, you know, begin to build wealth and buy assets and things like that. So uh, most people are starting with debt problems, yes, but the communication is really what makes the difference is are you going to, you know, I, I've suggested widely, we've done blog posts about this, that, you know, maybe not the first or second date, but one of the, the dates before you start to live together, you should bring your credit report and yeah. you should get your, your partner to do the same and <laughs> you'll have a great so time. Ro- I know. so romantic. <laughs> oh yeah, I got to get the wine stains on it. No, uh, but it, I think it's really important to be that transparent just to, to let somebody know, you know, here's what I'm facing or, or what I'm not facing because the way that you make decisions as a couple could be completely different. And again, definitely if one person has no debt and somebody's got a bunch of debt, the right answer is usually not that the person with no debt suddenly pays off the other person's debt. Usually there's a much better alternatives to that. But it is more of a moral obligation versus a legal obligation for me to tell Joe Blow, who I'm thinking of getting married to, mm-hmm. that I owe $100,000, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's no legal obligation because you owing that money, again, getting married doesn't suddenly make Joe owe that money. Got it. But yeah, and the idea of, you know, more communication is better better than less. Um, yeah, I, I would encourage couples to be very open in the early stages of the relationship. And again, a great tool to do that is to just get the credit reports, sit them down in front of each other, and then just see what you've got there. Because quite often, this is a, a good spinoff, is quite often um, credit reports aren't accurate. You know, whether there's identity theft or things like that, you might find addresses you've never lived at, accounts you've never had open that are actually dragging down your credit score. And if you both sit there and you're looking at them, you can say, okay, I'm going to clean this up, you clean that up. And then that can be part of you guys planning on how you're going to have a financial future together. Can you can you explain to us how, how, uh, how a credit rating even gets... Uh, built yep. if it's if they could be so inaccurate at yeah. the same time. So they're you know it's the old adage of garbage in, garbage out. So credit rating is only as good as the information that's fed to it. And you can just imagine you know close to thirty million uh, citizens in, in Canada. Um, a big subset of those have credit reports, and each person's credit report. There's information about their employment, their addresses, every account, every payment. Um, it's not atypical to find that just something gets reported incorrectly and over time it could be many things reported incorrectly. So everybody in Canada has the right to get their credit report once a year for free from each of the bureaus. I do it every year and again I'm amazed at some of the things that come up there and you know my name is often misspelled as Martin so I think you know sometimes they put in Martin and someone else and then suddenly that gets into my bureau. You know if you've got a common last name and a somewhat common first name quite often you'll find that things are in your bureau where they might not be. Oh that's interesting. And they might you know, the time to clear this up is not when you've applied for the mortgage and the bank's got your credit report right up in front. That's too late because this stuff can take some time. Right. So a good spinoff to being open with your, your partner is, yeah, you'll actually clean up your credit at the same time if there are any inaccuracies there. That's interesting because I don't think I've ever seen my credit rating card mm-hmm. or, you know, my information about me. Yeah. 
So it'd be interesting if, if, if you pull it. And you tell me if it's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna figure. I'm gonna figure that out. See if it is. Yeah. Uh, so if a married person is filing a personal bankruptcy, um, you've sort of answered this already. Uh, their spouse isn't bankrupt. Right. Right. Yeah. So absolutely, their spouse is not bankrupt. So somebody can go through a bankruptcy, and it doesn't bankrupt the entire couple or the entire household or anything like that. Um, so you know, quite often, if it's a husband and wife situation, and you know, the wife might have a student loan from you know twenty years ago, and now she's not working, she could do a bankruptcy. She might be considered low income, and the bankruptcy might be over in, in nine months. Whereas comparing the household, if they decided, okay, we want to pay this off together, you know, if it was a big student loan, that could take years and years um, of income from the family, but not income specifically from the wife if her income is low. So in those situations, again, it could be a better a better choice for one partner to deal with their debts and the other person not to contribute by trying to pay off those debts. That's really good information. Now, there are a couple situations where, yeah, if your spouse owes something, you may still owe it, um, but generally you have to be deliberate in those. And one would be if you've co-signed. So be very, very, very careful. If you're ever asked to co-sign mm. something, accept that you are signing to be responsible for 100% of the debt. And so just be aware you're giving another pocket to dip into that your creditors would not otherwise have. So co-signing everything that your, your spouse automatically owes, I wouldn't do that. I would really go on a case-by-case -case basis. Why am I required to co-sign? In usual um, situations, it won't be to your benefit to be a co-signer. So that's really important. But another one, and this one is a little bit insidious, is if you get a supplementary card um, for a credit card that your spouse has. If you, you know, banks are always offering this, you know, just get your spouse a, a supplementary card. Yes. It can be a bit of a gray area, but I've seen individuals held accountable if they've got a supplementary card and they've used it, even if it's not their account, if they're just an extra card holder on them, they've suddenly made it a little bit more gray that they might start to owe that, that, that oh, money. Oh, that's really Really interesting. And because credit card companies, God bless them, mm -hmm. love to hand out credit cards. Oh, yeah. And they don't, and you really don't have to be of any financial means or substance in order to get one. Right. So an easy test is if your name is on the statement, if both partners' names are on the statement, that's usually a good indication. They would try to collect from both. If it's one person's name, keep it that way. Don't get the supplementary card. Don't co-sign. Just keep all the debt problems localized to whoever brought them to the relationship. Okay. And in, and in wrapping up, what if uh, the person opts to file a con consumer proposal? How does that impact my spouse? In it, 30 seconds, It probably. generally doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. In, in three seconds. No, it, it's very, very straightforward. So if one person's got a debt problem, they file a consumer proposal, it just makes the household better off because now that person's debt payments aren't $1,000 a month, they're probably $200 a month, and then suddenly you're better off. Excellent. If you have more questions or want more information, check out uh, Sands & Associates, their website, sands-trustee.com, or you can call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and a find an office near you. You're listening to Blair Manton with Sands & Associates. I'm Elaine Scollin. The show is called Dollars and Cents. Sands & Associates, experts in helping you get out of debt. For more information on any of the services we've talked about, go to the website sands-trustee.com for more information. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.